This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Thanks for joining us today, Peter. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. This is great. So um, just kicking off, can you tell us a little bit about um, A plus I and what you guys do? Yeah, so A plus I um, stands for Architecture Plus Information. We're uh, a design consultancy that focuses on the physical environment, um, which is a fancy way of saying we do architecture and um, experience design. Uh, we started now about 25 years ago. In fact, our 25th anniversary is later this year, so um, a quarter century of really primarily doing workspace. Um, and 25 years ago, you know, right now, workspace is at the tip of everyone's tongue, you know, especially coming out of a pandemic, hopefully coming out of a pandemic. Um, there's a lot of talk about what the workplace means and how it might change based on how work is changing and the tools we work with. Um, back in the day, 25 years ago, workspace was, you know, a, a room of desks and offices along the perimeter. And it was essentially, you know, almost interchangeable between company. Um, we started the company at a, at a really interesting inflection point, you know, um, Brad Zismore and Dag Folger, the two um, sort of Columbia graduates who really young in their career realized an opportunity to, to start working at a workplace, um, maybe foresaw that. But I think almost, you know, being in New York at the right time and engaging with the right people and being young at the beginning of sort of the dot-com boom, I think really helped us walk into an opportunity that's been, you know, growing ever since we started yeah, and I mean, what was kind of their um, initial initial thesis, and specifically in the dot com era, that's a really interesting time uh, to start a you know a company like A plus I. So, what what made them stand out, kind of from your your typical architects back then? Right, and I'm speaking from my perspective, knowing them. I've been around at A plus I 17 years, so um, so I missed the the heady days of the the initial dot com boom and kind of came in at the tail. But I think what happened is, you know, there were a few opportunities for workplace and quickly those young dot-com companies that were small and growing very fast saw kindred spirits in an A plus I and saw a, a young organization, you know, when other architects would come in in suits and ties and, and we would come in in, in, you know, sweatshirts and jeans, a little bit of a, a, a comfort of communication with us. And I think what what A plus I really started to learn from the dot-com boom, and I really think it was a lesson that was taught, was these young growing companies um, were developing their cultures as they were as they were scaling up and developing their products. It was all happening simultaneously, and it was happening really fast. So we were doing 20, 30 companies a, a year, just hand over fist work. And I think understanding the ways that space could help a growing company enshrine a culture to, to weave the narrative or an understanding of culture into a space so that as they doubled, tripled, quadrupled in size quickly, that culture was palpable in a space really assisted these companies in wrangling the the challenge, which is scaling. Um, and New York at the time, as San Francisco, and we had an office in San Francisco at the same time, these companies were popping up and growing incredibly quickly. I mean, that all, of course, you know, ended abruptly. But during those, you know, three or four years when, um, when A plus I was just starting out, those groups, that dot-com explosion really taught us the, you know, the fundamental building blocks of our practice. And, and we've been living off that ever since. 
It's so funny to see, like, particularly, you know, it has been the, in a lot of ways, not exclusively, but the tech industry, and particularly, probably starting with the dot com, that had such a strong emphasis on the physical workplace, when you look at like what Google did with their, right, you know, their, their campuses, and what their ruse team real estate and workplace services continues to do, and how quickly they've shifted to this kind of remote oriented messaging, even though they've still spent a lot of money on on real estate. But I mean, talk a little bit about how you guys see how the physical workspace influences kind of behavior and productivity at work. I, I think it's really interesting because as I was talking at the beginning about these interchangeable workplaces, I think that workplaces now are anything but. And, you know, we've, we've been working around sort of a, a bit of a thesis that was on how our practice can support our clients' aims and build spaces which are really resonant to culture and supportive of employees simultaneously. And there's this sort of triangle of support between, you know, uh, leader, let's call it leadership and space and, and people. Um, and by people, I mean the employees. And if they're in alignment, they really tend to self-support. And the message of leadership tends to be endemic to the space, meaning people go into the space and they feel what the culture is and they feel connected to that culture. They, you know, it's the, the idea that a company projects outward, projected inwardly. You know, it's the, it's the internal projection of brand. Um, I think Google, for a time, did that really well. I think a lot of what what Google did for their employees was seen as just best practices and we need novelty and and this whimsy and, you know, firemen's poles and pool tables and whatever. I think that was the misreading of it because what Google was doing was talking to their employees about what their employees wanted. But across all industries, I think what's really important for companies is to assess what their culture is and what their meaning they want to project is, and then figure out what the space that supports that is. Then, you know, you're not selling your employees a bill of goods when they show up. They're coming to see the space that's telling the story about who you are and what's important to you. Not what's important to Google, but what's important to your company, if, whether you're in finance or legal or co uh, commercial retail or, you know, across the board, all those rules still apply. Yeah. And are you seeing more of, I think it's a really good point that you just emphasize, which is don't just do what Google does, right? Like for a very long time, you know, we see it in commercial real estate, but also just in terms of employers and how they think about their workspaces. Are you seeing more companies becoming sophisticated about being purposeful and designing their environment for their culture rather than purely kind of carbon copying what they think leaders and workplace experience and culture are doing? I think so. I, I mean, there's a there's a bit of workplace pre, let's say pre.com boom, but to be honest, you know, that whole maxim about the future is here. It's just not well distributed applies to workplace, which is some professions, let's say some, some sectors of the economy have been changing at a different rate in tech for a long time was ahead of building workplaces that are meaningfully resonant with the company's culture expectations, what it wants to deliver in the world and to its employees. You know, you get companies like le the legal profession specifically, um, sometimes finance that you know, rely on the expectations of, of the previous generations and build iterations on the expectations of the previous generation. I would argue that, you know, media companies and some of the smaller financial companies have been coming around because they see themselves in comp competition for the same 
same talent as the Pelotons and the Googles and the, the, the Adobes of the world. And I think that we're starting to hear and see that in some of the more, um, you know, tried and true professions, you know, things like legal, realizing that, you know what, just having a brass rail in an office and a receptionist or an assistant is not the way of the future. It's, it's a much faster, much more creative, much more collaborative universe. And when you start talking that way, you start looking at an office that looks remarkably different than oak doors that separate, you know, the, the perimeter office from the in, internal, you know, clerkship, let's say. And I think the pandemic is accelerating that even faster because now people are seeing that there is a third way for their employees to satisfy themselves. And I think companies are starting to realize that the talent they need to acquire needs to needs to understand that its employer has has his or her back in how they need to work. And we'll see how that shakes out. But some companies are being very sort of definitive in what they think the future is going to be. And some companies are being very soft. And I think, you know, the future is not written yet. We haven't lived it. As we start to live it, we'll start to feel how, you know, the work that we do in the future will be supported either by the remote tools, which we've all adopted, or by the spaces that companies believe are the elemental um, sort of touchstone of their success. Yeah. And I think one of the probably the biggest challenges we hear from some of our clients is they're they're kind of working in a, a space that's very anecdotal, right? Like I talk to a lot of CEOs and uh, heads of real estate and things like that, and they're they can anecdotally express the benefits of having people together in the workplace, right? And they almost everyone also expresses, you know, why flexibility is a good thing too, right? You know, sometimes skipping the commute and heads down concentration work uh, away from distraction, not necessarily working from home, but working from whatever environment you think you need to be in to be productive is beneficial. But it, I think when I talk to leaders that are wrestling with a lot of this, the problem is really a set of KPIs and measurements almost on the outcomes that you're trying to drive to with the workspace, right? And what you're designing for. I mean, how do you guys think about that? And when you're, you know, you've worked with Peloton and a lot of really great companies that clearly have invested in their workspaces, like how do you think about the KPIs and outcomes of the workspace? I mean, that's a that's really important. You know, the space, it's impossible or it's difficult to say the, the degree to which space delivers, uh, you know, a monetary or a productivity return, to be honest, how you gauge your productivity is and, and how that's actually laddered up to and, and, and expressed is the combination of a lot of things. I think that for a lot of leadership right now, we've been doing, you know, my role as chief strategy officer is engaging with a lot of leaders of companies right now to talk through what the future might be, how space might transform how they work, because Technology has transformed how their people connect. It's interesting. A, a digression on your question is, you know, a couple of the clients we've been talking to, we've asked very specific questions of their people and of leadership about productivity. And almost to a company, the rank and file of the, the, the companies say that through the pandemic, they have been as productive, if not more productive. And leadership tends to see a reduction in productivity by a marginal percent, but, you know, 10 or 15% less productive. And let's get back to the office so we can be fully productive. I think it's incumbent on leaders to really figure out what productivity means. And is it dollars per hour spent or is it client billings? Those are kind of easy. But if it's, am I, are, am I, 
am I reaching my employees and teaching them what's important to us so that the next decision they make is a decision aligned with our decision making, which I think those become much softer KPIs. And I think those become the things that make a company successful in the long term. If you have an aligned sort of community of people, you're much stronger than if you have people who are just able to say, I worked my 12 hours or I worked my eight hours and I achieved these specific benchmarks. Yeah, and I think that that concept that you guys have of alignment, I think, is really powerful because, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before the the show about, you know, we're we're somewhat fascinated with Lewin's equation, which Kurt Lewin was the founder of uh, social psychology, and essentially Lewin's equation is that behavior is a product of people in their environment, and I think it's really hard for any one individual, any of us to like fully grasp how much our environment impacts us, right? Because if we were fully in control of that, then we could almost dictate outcomes that obviously are beyond our control in a lot of instances. So, you know, when you think about in the point that you made, it's so hard to quantify the way that technology is now coming into the workplace, which I know that you guys are pretty thoughtful and ahead of a lot of folks in your space with regards to how you guys think about technology. But you know, we're pretty obsessive about how do you start to quantify outcomes in the in the office or the workplace that can map to productivity, right? Can I can we take a data set from our platform and overlay it on Salesforce to actually show our our salespeople more successful when they're in the workplace or not? Uh, or GitHub for engineers, you know, whatever it is. But how how do you guys think about technology and how how does it affect your business? Well, you know, to um, Llewellyn's equation or Lewin's equation, excuse me, and the beginning of your your question, I think it's really really fundamental, and it's something that it's hard to express to a client, and it's hard to make sure that it's understood the the core value that space plays in shaping the engagements of people, right? Where I'm in a room right now, it's a it's a 10-person conference room, and it shapes a certain relationship, relationship relative to the table, relationship relative to a monitor that's on the wall, to a door you can shut, to a glass wall that 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 allows us to see everyone who walks by. These are all bits and pieces of a, you know, an engagement with others, right? And how you shape that room. Is it a room for two that's quiet and dark? Is it a is it a, a sofa in the middle of a bright, airy and, and kind of vibrant space? All of these things are nice to look at. They're pretty. It's meaningful that they look good, but it's more meaningful that they are there to shape very specific engagements, relationships between people. When you start to think about space as building relationships, you start to get to that sort of slightly more ambiguous or fuzzy a return on investment that I was talking about. And I think that what's really becoming apparent now is how you and I are in a room together, right? We are, are we have a space and it's a virtual space and it's shaping our engagement. We'd be having a different relationship probably if we were talking in the same room together. We'd be sharing coffee maybe. We would have had a little bit more time. I would have taken you on a tour of my office or you would have shown me yours. Those are in some ways irreplaceable missing components to this relationship but in a lot of ways this relationship has its own values you know one thing we've we've realized is that large format meetings one of our financial clients a hedge fund has all hands meetings so they've got you know 50 maybe 60 people on a call they used to be 50 or 60 people in a room 
what we started to understand as we talked to their employees is that the junior people were finally feeling like they were included in the meeting when the meeting was virtual. Everybody was represented equivalently. They could hear well, whereas in the past, they weren't sitting near the chief investment officer and the CEO, and they didn't know what they were talking about. They can contribute if they really believe and feel that they've got a piece of information which is elemental to the discussion. They no longer feel sidelined. They feel like they can speak up. And there's a platform for speaking up. So there's this virtual environment, which the future and what's going on right now and technology in and of itself is starting to enable, which is powerful. And I think the the biggest challenge, and I think this is something you guys deal with fundamentally, is what are the right rules of engagement and how do you make sure that you know where people are, you know how to get there, and you know that you you have it available to you. You know, it's that um, almost operating system for your office space that's going to drive you to the right place in the right way to shape the environment or the, excuse me, to shape the experience that fundamentally gets you the performance you want. It's a very meandering way to that KPI question, but all of that, if you get in the right room to shape a relationship around the media that you need and it's the right environment, you're going to be more productive. You're going to engage with that information better. You're going to communicate more clearly. And it all comes down to communication. I mean, the whole reason we come to offices and sit in a room together is because that is a vehicle for communication. Same with what we're doing right here. Yeah. So do you have clients asking you to almost weave technology into the work that you're doing for them? Yeah, I think there's sort of a interconnected cycle, I think, right now that I'm beginning to realize is unavoidable, which is that space and technology and the policies of companies uh, have to be considered concurrently. That when you set a policy, and this is why this moment in time is is extremely fraught for a lot of companies, but when you set a policy that says you have the freedom to come in, we'd like you here three days a week, and those days have to be Tuesday and Thursday, and then whatever other day you want. Suddenly, you're asking, you're telling your technology that there are going to be days and times where you won't know where your people are, but they still need to be connected and communicate meaningfully, which is a technological argument. And then it says, we don't know what the population of the office is going to be at any given day because there's fluidity now in how we work. And that's a space argument. And so if that policy changes, the pressures on technology and the pressures on space change. If the space changes, the pressures on policy and the pressures on technology change. We have to design a technologically enabled workplace, a meeting room space of engagement, except for those specific ones that are designed around human contact and touch and, and proximity. Any space we create that is a space for the engagements of more than one person has to be technologically considered at the same time. And ultimately, I think technology will just be woven into our workplaces in a way that is hopefully, I don't mean an afterthought, but second nature. You don't have to think about how to connect. You don't have to think about the technology. You don't have to ask yourself if it's there to connect you virtually with someone a thousand miles away or personally with someone six feet away. The space will just naturally know to do that. And you'll naturally know that whatever space you go into is a room that you can walk in virtually, you can walk in physically, and you can have that conversation without the heavy lift of being your own IT professional. Yeah, I mean, that's where the workplace, I mean, really kind of the the built environment, but the workplace in particular, which is where we're focused as a platform for this new wave of technology, we think is really interesting because, you know, we're, we're kind of coming out of you know, whether it's the social media age or web 2.0, as they used to call it, technology that really connected us to people anywhere. And now what we're seeing as, you know, our physical infrastructure becomes much more technically enabled. There's this opportunity to create a technology layer that is almost to your point, 
somewhat invisible and brings us closer back together in person, which we think is a really powerful thing because, you know, I think we're starting to see some of the ramifications of, you know, there's a lot of good that comes out of some of the platforms that connect us to people anywhere, but there's also consequences of tribalism, misinformation, all the things that I think when you're with someone, to your point about if you and I were together, there's just something different about looking somebody in the eye, right? Yeah. Um, and connecting in person. We think it's really interesting kind of time and there's going to be this explosion of technologies and I'm sure you guys see it at A plus I that start to reconnect us kind of physically, but much more in the background than as a parent of, you know, head down in a phone, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's something that, that, that speaks to is, you know, the technology we're using right now is incredibly good at planned, um, structured engagements, right? We, mm. we, we planned this, this conversation. We planned it last week. You sent me a link to the tools we're using. I, I got set up a few minutes early and we're off to the races. If, you know, let's say you and I were colleagues, in the last generation of workspace, if I had a burning issue I wanted to talk to you about, a new opportunity or a challenge or a bug I need to, to, to fix, you know, I just get up from my desk, look around or pick up and call your extension. You're in, the, I know where you are because we have one office. You know, it's the, it's the challenge bigger companies like larger multinational companies were having with multiple offices, multiple branches, the disconnection of people, and maybe even the factionalism and tribalism that you're talking about with social media in, sen in the sense of real physical space. I see a future and I'm hoping for a future where that layer of technology that kind of binds us in the same way that, and I think this is the major sort of, un, I don't want to say it's unspoken, but the, the major transformation of the post-pandemic world is going to be that companies across the spectrum, professional companies across the spectrum have all adopted sort of distributed information, meaning my tools, my information, the work that I do is all cloud-based now. It has to be, otherwise our company would have gone under during the pandemic, which means we're going to exit the pandemic all kind of in the future relative to where we were before, which means that, you know, I've got a telephone, I've got a, an iPad, my work finds me wherever I am, I, which means that I have ultimate freedom. Depending on whether or not I give myself that freedom or businesses give their employees that freedom is one thing. But you can't dispute that I can be fully capable in most cases of doing 100% of my work at 100% efficiency slash productivity wherever I want to work, which is incredibly enabling and gets you to the point where I, I'm not going to be able to pop my head up and say, there's you know Chase over there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go talk to him about this burning question. I've got to figure out how I can seamlessly do that in a virtual world. And knowing if you're in person, I'm going to, I'm going to go find you in person. Knowing that you're um, on a, you know, virtually somewhere else in the world, I want to be able to reach out and ping you and tap you. And there are ways to do it, but they're still clumsy relative to, you know, the, the idea of sitting, just sitting next to someone and being able to interrupt them passively when you need to. I think those are, there are layers of technology which are going to just you know, even maybe prompt us when I happen to be in your in proximity to you say, hey, you've been working on this with Chase. He's around the corner. Do you want to talk to him? Just little soft alerts at, like uh, Google Maps tells you to turn left on, on a street somewhere that, that help guide you through your day around the proximity or connectivity of people. I think there's something there that is still yet to be understood and achieved. Yeah. And you kind of talked about coming out of COVID waking up in the future. Have you guys seen... Um, I mean, the, the way that you think about kind of the, the workspace design is incredibly sophisticated. Do you think that COVID has kind of forced more broadly employers, I don't know if you want to call it a catalyst or a wake-up call, but to really 
kind of level up their sophistication and rethinking how people work and interact in physical space? Have you seen more, I guess, I don't know if it's concrete demand or even just more people kind of elevating their thinking and strategies on, you know, how workspace design? Oh, absolutely. I think that what it's really done is shocked some companies, I think, that probably believed in their um, let's call them theories of workplace or how their spaces worked into needing to think about their spaces as living, changing entities, meaning I need now need to think about the ways in which my employees are meeting at a, at a very specific, very you know, concrete level. I can't just assume the last generation of a workspace is going to work in the next generation. I think the future is, and and the I'll say the future is yet to be baked. Let's say it's still in the it's still a cake, uh, in in dough form or batter form. But I think the biggest challenge right now is companies are realizing something needs to be done, and I think it's companies across the board are realizing something needs to be done. Their employees are coming back with new expectations and a brand new skill set about how to be productive. I mean, if it's been a year and a half of learning how to how to operate in a different way, building procedures, and I would even say retooling the company culture. I think these companies that are making a sudden demand to return to the office in a way and why we're sort of seeing employees attrition increase has a lot to do with a year and a half of adopting another culture and becoming comfortable with it means it's hard to return to a to a different culture. And you're going to have some employees, you're going to have people you work with or work for you that said, you know what, I don't believe I signed up for this. I don't believe that this suits my needs. I'm going to go elsewhere. And so I think we're having a strange, I don't know what you want to call it, but this great restack maybe of people going to find the place that delivers the culture that suits the way they want to work in the world. But what that means for designing space is people are really starting to think about if people come into the office a set amount of days, what are the activities in that office that need to happen in the office? What are the relationships, as we talked earlier, that space needs to begin to help drive in a culturally resonant way. In the past, they would simply say, I need 100 people. I need space for 100 people. That means I need a big conference room, two small conference rooms, and 100 desks, a receptionist, and a coffee machine. You could get away with being that reductive about it because you and your employees had no choice. Suddenly, you and your employees have massive amounts of choice about where you work and how you work and how you be productive. And that means the space that you give to your employees is even more necessarily connected to your culture and what you want to deliver and how connecting your people together reinforces what you want to do in the world. And so to that end, I would argue 100% of companies with a few stragglers here or there are rethinking their workspace, whereas beforehand it was really more the enlightened ones that were rethinking their workplace in those terms. It's really interesting. And well, speaking of terms, you know, obviously, as a uh, a tech founder, I've heard you use the MVO, kind of the minimum viable office term, which for those listening, it's a play on minimum viable product, which came from uh, Eric Ries and a number of uh, tech entrepreneurs out in Silicon Valley with the kind of basic premise of what is the minimum viable product. Uh, Typically, software product was how they originally defined the minimum viable product. But what's the minimum viable feature set for a software product that can prove kind of market adoption within a targeted customer set? So when I hear minimum viable office, uh, I get excited. But can you tell us what you guys mean by by minimum viable office and how it applies? Yeah, I think it's and thanks for that introduction um, about its um, this sort of minimum viable product off which it's a riff, because I think it's really important to think about 
relative to, to space, relative to architecture. And if minimum viable product is all about software, you know, architecture is kind of the hardest of hardware, right? Mm -hmm. A company is going to spend $50 million to build out their space. If they get something wrong, it's not as if it's a code fix, right? It's not as if they just swap in and out a few lines of code to solve the problem. It's hardwired, it's, it's hard built into the space, and it is another million dollars to fix even small problems. So architecture has always been built on iteration with, within the conceptual phase. You sit down with drawings, you sit down with models, you, you have long conversations. It's a very deliberate process. It's a very, you have to be patient, especially you know those who work in tech who are used to two week turnarounds on things. You have to be incredibly patient to get architecture right so that it's good money after good ideas. What I think this moment is doing is it is asking companies to act relative to space without an understanding of the future, right? We, we don't know what the future is. We're not living it yet. The future is going to be some version of these tools of flexibility and these policies of flexibility that nobody knows what works best for their company. Nobody knows what works best for their, their culture. As soon as we, we step into that world, you know, the pandemic that we're in right now pushes us back a little bit. So we're making decisions in the dark. Um, you still have to make decisions. The enlightened leaders we're working with right now are making decisions. They are saying definitively, you know what, our future is going to be two days in the office three days flex. And these are the days we expect. And we look forward to seeing you and it's going to be great. But they're also saying that with the caveat of in three months, in four months, we're going to get together as a group. We're going to talk through this. We're going to look at the decisions we made relative to the productivity we need, whether relative to the culture we need, and we're going to tune those decisions. And what that means for space, you know, the hardest of hardware is you need to really think about how can I deliver the experience my employees are going to need to understand to help define the future without enshrining them physically in space in a way that, if not intractable, is incredibly expensive to undo. Because it's time consuming and expensive. You need something that is a prototype of a prototype of the future. I think if anything, and this is probably bad business advice, given that we're an architecture firm first and foremost, is wait, deploy what is going to suit the world that you foresee your employees needing to inhabit in a minimum way, in a way that allows you to test it, allows you to understand it, but doesn't, doesn't make it too difficult to unravel if you were wrong. And we're all going to be wrong. And give yourself the luxury of inhabiting the future for a few months at least before you say, we have confidence we've made the right decision. And a lot of that is going to be strategic and in soft relationships with your technologists and with your architects and with your employees. And I think it's incredibly important to also include the employees in this to see what is working, assess what's productive and what's not productive, and tune the machine for as long as we feel we need to before we've come to terms with what the future is going to look like. And architecture works in five and 10 year cycles. And, and those, are, those are getting shorter as companies like WeWork or Industrious allow us to work on shorter lease cycles. And the, the whole industry is going that direction. But still, when you build a space, it takes a few years, it takes five years to actually get your value out of the investment. And there's still going to be that time. So um, the future is going to continually change. And it's going to change in these longer chunks, but we're at a moment right now where the future is so fluid and the opportunities offer so much variation that to plant an expensive flag in the sand is really a dangerous proposition right now, unless you believe you know exactly where the future is going to be. I think something like doing a little to test a lot is more important. And that's kind of what we mean by minimum viable office is take the time to get yourself to the point where you can 
do what I still think is important, which is build a meaningful space that tells the right story to your employees, tells them both that you value them and you value their experience at work. You understand how they work and what they need, and they understand what's important to you and the kind of story your company, your mission in the world is trying to tell. Well, I think that's a really powerful, I mean, do a little to test a lot is a really powerful message. I mean, you just look at all the, you know, um, everything was about touchless technology there for six to nine months. And then the CDC said COVID doesn't spread on surfaces. So I think it's really, really good advice uh, to do a little to test a lot. Um, well, Peter, thank you so much for the time. This is great. And uh, appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. A plus I, the work you guys do is uh, is incredibly impactful and we're big fans. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. This was great. Um, I really enjoyed it. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. 